The Ziggler Show. Timeless inspiration from Zig Ziggler that's influenced over 250 million people worldwide. Inspiring true performance in your work and life today. Welcome to episode 311 of The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller resident brand ambassador and marketing strategist for Ziegler. Today, we're going to hear Zig Ziegler talk to us about leadership principles, starting with what he learned from his mother. With me is my co-host, Tom Ziegler, CEO and proud son of Ziegler. And before we dive into this clip, Tom, you just had a house full of people at the Ziegler headquarters outside of Dallas, Texas. Therefore, ZLC, Ziegler Legacy Certification. Uh, I heard some of the stories and just wanted you to give folks a snapshot of what happened there over the five days. Well, Kevin, I have to tell you, it was an amazing five days. Our, our Ziegler Legacy Certification, we had 20 people come in uh, from all over the world. We had, of course, people from all over the United States. Uh, we had a gentleman from Nigeria, uh, a man from Australia, and it was fantastic. And they all came together, bi- different backgrounds, uh, business, technology, you name it. The backgrounds were there, training, speaking, consulting, and so on. Uh, but they all came in to learn about our core, three core Ziegler program so they could be certified, so they could take this training back to their community, some back into their own businesses, uh, some back into their their community as far as through the church, their, the businesses that they work in, or as a speaker or trainer carrying on. And just to see the life change that happened, the inspiration, and I always tell people, it's exciting to come through a class like that, but nobody benefits more uh, than our team and our staff because we get to associate with such world changers who come through. Well, and you know, I love hearing the stories uh, of what happens there. And I, I know that even in the promotional aspect, as we talk about ZLC, I end up focusing a lot because of my own background in coaching and consulting and as a business owner uh, of certification and the equipping that happens there and the credibility of, of having the Ziegler brand behind you. And yet the stories that I hear most, uh, even with that huge value, the stories that I hear most are about just personal life transformation. And it, it more and more behooves me to just talk about the life, trans, life transformations that happen there that are almost a, a byproduct of the event that is equipping them. And that is, and it's priceless. I mean, how many people ever really transform their lives? And yet it happens there over five days, time and time again. Absolutely. And I, and I think the best way to explain it is these people who come in, the men and women who come through as young as 21 this time. Uh, we had a young man come through who's just, wow. he's a leader in his industry and he's has seven, several thousand people in his organization, just a young go-getter, uh, all the way up to people who've, who've been there and done that and, and life has happened to them. You know, they've overcome incredible, incredible obstacles uh, to be where they are. And the, the reality is, is everybody has a story to tell. And the interesting thing is, is some people, for whatever reason, they feel like the story they have to tell is the reason that they can't do something. You know, maybe it's the mistake they made or, or the curveball that life threw at them or the circumstances they came from. And by the end of the week, we show them and we teach them that actually the story you have to tell is the very reason you will be successful. In other words, 
the tragedy you've had to overcome or the mistakes you've made and learned from and grown from, that's what interests people. That's the story that you tell someone else that gets them to move and go to the next level. And when you see people, you know, embrace that and realize that God's put them exactly where they're supposed to be. And now it's their responsibility to help other people move from where they are to where they want to be. That's just, it's such a powerful time. I I just wish everybody could come and experience this. Well, I love what you say there about story. Matter of fact, we should do a podcast just about that. Just on the fact that you talked, you told me long ago that one of the flagship things that your dad, that Zig did in every talk he did was the lead with his personal story because that's how he related to people and uh, people want to be related to before they'll listen so often. And so that's, we, we should, we should do a podcast on that. Well, Hey, the next ZLC is this coming July and I hear it's already about half full. So for those of you listening, go to Ziggler.com and scroll down. You'll see a bunch of uh, bubbles of interest, circles of interest there. One of them is Ziggler legacy certification. You can read about it and inquire about it and see if it is something that you are primed to do now. Um, Well, hey, we're going to listen to an 11-minute clip from Zig on leadership principles and then just do a discussion on a few of the aspects that he covers. So here we go. Now, how does all of this work in the marketplace? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. My dad died when I was five years old. There were six of us too young to work. We survived because we had a wonderfully wise, hardworking, loving mother with great faith. All of us started helping around the house very early in our careers, in our childhood. I remember my first solo assignment in the garden. I had to hold two rows of beans, and the rows were three and a half miles long. <laughs> Would you believe Three. But when you're eight years old, they look like they were three and a half miles long. My mother showed me what she wanted me to do and how she wanted me to do it. And then she said, son, now, when you finish, call me and I'll come look it over. Well, I finally got through and I said, mama, I'm through. Well, my mother was a little bitty lady. She always wore a cloth sunbonnet over her head to protect her face from that hot Mississippi sun. When she was not happy with what we had done, you could always tell She would always fold her hands behind her back. She would always duck her head. She'd always cock its light to the right, and she'd give you that little left to right motion, you know. Well, when she started that, I said, what's the matter, Mama? And my mama said, son, it looks like you're going to have to lick this calf over. Now, is there anybody here so underprivileged that you do not clearly understand that perfectly plain old Mississippi colloquialism Lick that calf over. Anybody doesn't understand that? Well, don't be embarrassed about being ignorant. There just a lot of folks, a lot of folks haven't had the same benefits in life I have. Well, let me tell you, I knew exactly what it meant. What it meant was, son, you got to do this job over. But I was trying to buy time, so I said, Mama, hadn't been messing with that calf. I've been hooing these beans. She kind of laughed and said, Well, son, what I what I mean is this. For most people, what you've done would be perfectly all right. But you're not most people. You're my son. And my son can do better than this. Now let's look at the leadership and management principles that are involved in this. The relationship that is there. Let's look first of all, she was a wise lady. Limited education, fifth grade. 
But wisdom really is a gift from God. And as an aside, you will never see or hear an arrogant, wise person. That's not going to happen. Now, you'll see an arrogant, knowledgeable person, but not a wise one. My mother had wisdom. Now, the second principle I want to point out is that we knew that she was going to instruct us on how to do what she wanted us to do. And this is a good leadership management principle, isn't it? We need to teach our people exactly how to do what we want them to do. In this high-tech world with computers changing every other day, uh, even though a person might be an expert on it, each one has its little idiosyncrasies, and and we need to give them a chance. My mother had told me exactly how to hold those beams. That's the second thing we knew about it. Third thing we knew was that she was going to inspect to make certain she got what she expected. Uh, it's terribly discouraging to a child or to an employee to give them an assignment and never say good job or thank you for that. Now, obviously, if they show up at eight and leave on five and that's their job and nothing is unusual about it, you're just a courteous and pleasant with them. But when they stay later, when they go above and beyond, a simple thank you is so important. The next principle is our mother had set certain standards. You see, she uh, had clearly taught us. She expected us to do our best, not be the best. See, that's an impossible standard because everybody can't be the best at everything. Now, I'm certain my mother had never heard this phrase, but uh, she also was demonstrating something. She understood, you see, that failure is an event. It's not a person. I I wasn't a bad boy. I just did a lousy job. That's what she was saying to me. But son, you're a good boy. As a matter of fact, you're so good, I cannot accept substandard work from you. It's unfair to the child, to the employee, or to anyone else. You build low ceilings on them when you do it that way. She had criticized their performance, you see. It needed criticized. To, to let some shoddy work get through is absolutely unfair to everyone, including our customers. Is this not so? She had praised the performer. He needed the praise. His self-image was fine after that. Now, I don't remember jumping up and down and saying, oh boy, I gotta, I'm going to get a chance to do this one again. I don't remember that. But in retrospect, as I look back on my life, I realize that the finest thing that had happened to me, and I don't know when, was exactly what happened that day. Will this work in the athletic world, for example? Yes, it will. It will work in the business world. It will work in any world of which you are a part. The approach of being considerate of the other person, and that doesn't mean soft with the other person, but it does mean that you are doing the right thing for that person. It breeds loyalty in an individual. A little bit earlier, you heard Brian Flanagan. Let me tell you something about Brian Several years ago, uh, Brian uh, came to my house. He didn't want to talk to me at the office. He knew I was there. He walked in and announced his resignation. He said, Zig, I have been given a unique opportunity, and I've got to take advantage of it. I'll be part owner. I'll keep doing the same thing I'm doing. I won't have to travel as much. It's a unique opportunity. And I said, well, Brian, man alive, I've got to tell you, I sure hate to see you go. 
you're very valuable to us. You have great talent and ability, and I have great respect for you, and we're going to miss you. And, and Brian, uh, and I don't do this uh, almost never, but I said to Brian, if this turns out to be more glitter than gold, I want you to know that the door is open for you to come back. Now, let's think a minute. Why did he get that opportunity? Was it because he was going around telling everybody about that lousy fellow Zig Ziglar was and what a crummy company he worked for? I mean, you just, those people, they're horrible. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, listen to this guy. He's the kind of fellow we want to hire. Maybe he'll go around and say the same things about us. You know why they offered him a job? Because of his loyalty to us and just good common sense. He said, it's a wonderful place to work. They're great people down there. And those folks thought, man alive, this is the kind of guy we need working for us. You build relationships by being loyal to the individual's concern and doing the things that will make a difference. Now, as we look at how this works in the marketplace, let me uh, tell you what we've been doing some surveys on. In these surveys, we've been asking people, what is it? that you want in a training program. We asked the question of over 600 companies, and the question really boiled down to something like this. Why don't you do more training? On almost every one, they always sent back the same three. They sent a lot of reasons, but three of them were always there. Cost too much, takes too long, too complicated. How many of you have ever told a salesman trying to sell you a training program, something along those lines? Cost too much, take too long, too complicated. So we created a specific program to answer all three of those things. We call it Ziggits. Now, Ziggits encompasses uh, a number of things. For example, we do about five or six minutes on video, cover three major points. Now, the training session that follows takes about 20, 25 more minutes. So that takes care of the time factor. We teach them three or four very specific things which they can then use that day on the job. Cost too much? Well, eight training sessions cost roughly $150. And so that brings the cost down way, way down. Uh, complicated? Three things which they use immediately. In other words, we ask the customer, what do you want? Now, in business, why can't we ask our internal customers what they want? In other words, I'm the employer and uh, what we're facing today is a labor shortage. Everywhere I go, employment want, employment opportunity, employment opportunity, uh, come in here. You see it in papers, you hear it on radio, on television all the time. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the labor market is very, very tight. USA Today did some studies on this, and here's what they found. They found the same things that we've been talking about, what everybody wants. But they also found uh, that when they asked the employer, what do you think your employees want? And the three things they said, according to USA Today, number one, employer said employee wants more money. That's the first thing they want. Second, they want job security. And third, they want opportunity for advancement. Then they went to the employees and said, what's most important to you in this world today? Number one was they wanted some interesting work. Number two, they wanted appreciation for the work they had already done. 
And number three, they wanted a feeling of being in on things. Don't make me learn everything from the grapevine. That's what they were saying. Now, where did they rate money? That is number nine. Where did they rate job security? That was number 12. Opportunity for advancement? Uh, that was number 13. Now, let me ask you a question. If that's what the employers thought they wanted and they gave them a raise and then they didn't get very excited about it, maybe that helps understand it. Of course, I've never seen anybody turn one down. (laughs) But why not let's look at what makes the most difference to that individual and that namely is what they themselves really want. You might say, okay, now what uh, what does the boss get out of that? Well, they found out what the boss wanted. Anybody know what the boss wants? Loyal, productive employees and a growing, thriving, profitable business. All right, Tom, right off the bat, I want to pull something out that Zig shared there. And this was him sharing something from his mother, your grandmother. And where she related to him, she said, for most people, your work would be all right. But for my son... I expect more. I love that perspective of, as he says later in there, criticizing, giving some constructive criticism to the work, not the person, and heightening that expectation, which so seldom happens uh, in our lives today. So you, as Zig's son, I know he handed that down to you. How did this play out in your life where his expectations for you were greater? Tough. In every area of my life, whether it was school or golf or work, whatever it was, uh, he expected this, and that is, is that whatever I would do, I would do it with 100% integrity and 100% effort. And, of course, effort has a lot to do with attitude. So dad was always coaching me on my attitude. So when I would have to do something, you know, in life, we always have to do things, things that we don't necessarily enjoy but things that are essential to our overall success. So if we want to have a successful life, we need to be in good health to enjoy all that life offers us, which means we have to watch what we eat, we have to exercise, which means that we have to make tough choices. You know, we can't have the second piece of pie, and we do need to work out even if we're tired. And Dad would really coach me on my attitude when I approach those things because the reality is, if we can have the right attitude going into what we want to do or what we need to do, either the case, our success rate and our enjoyment level of that particular thing goes way up. Dad knew that as long as, our, as my attitude was right, my ability to stick to it, even when the times got tough, would be much greater. Well, and that is uh, what, what a great legacy that he gave you. And I got to admit, I come from my father giving me much of that same example through Zig uh, to me, and it was not always the thing I wanted to hear, but man, as a, as a young adult, and then of course today, I am ever, ever more grateful and now striving to pass that on to my kids. Well, Tom, in today's workplace, in truth, often uh, little is expected of people other than just fulfilling their role, just doing what you're supposed to do and uh, not doing any more. I mean, we're taught often, whether verbally, literally, or in a subconscious aspect, an unsaid, uh, it's safest to do what we're told. We learn to do just enough to get by and often doing more, trying 
to innovate or go the extra mile does not get rewarded. And in some senses, I hear it so often, there's pushback because it's pushing somebody else's envelope above you or around you, and they don't want that. And yet we have people like Seth Godin, one of the Ziegler fans uh, at a great level, who wrote and talked about making yourself indispensable in his book, Lynchpin. I mean, he, he does it all over the board, but uh, in that book specifically, he talked about making yourself indispensable. So, uh, you know, people can't just hear a message like that and go, gosh, yeah, that makes sense, and just change immediately without a significant change, changing their fuel in essence. And I know that you're involved with people every day in these in this arena of wanting more for their life, transforming their lives. So wanted you just to share any recent examples of life transformation that you have been privy to uh, and what did it take for that person? Well, I'll, I'll tell a story, and this story is uh, from one of my good friends. His name is Chris Patterson. I've known him for many years, and uh, he came through the ZLC class. And the way we originally met was pretty interesting. Uh, he was in Dallas, I believe it was 1998 or 1999, and he had taken over an athletic club called the Q Club. Uh, the corporation had moved him there to run this club, to get it turned around, to get their sales up. And, of course, he was a young Zig Ziglar fan. So think back, you know, 1998. And uh, as happenstance would be, he was in there. He had just taken over the club. He had just started working with the whole group on Ziglar sales principles. He was the manager leading the charge. And his manager, the front desk guy, comes to Chris and says, hey, you're going to want to work this guy out. And he handed Chris the driver's license because back then when you went into a club in order to work out, you handed uh, your driver's license over, right? And that way they know you would weigh it, and then you would get the tour of the club and, and be offered that. And Chris thought the guy was joking. But the reality is, is my dad had gone up to that club because it's only like half a mile from where they lived. And so Chris got the opportunity to show dad around the club. And so Chris, when he's telling the story, he's like, here I am, the biggest Zig fan that ever walked the planet, but I was too cool to let Zig know that I knew who he was. And so he said two things from this meeting. He said when they were going through the workout, uh, he was working dad out and, and showing him this. Well, I, let me get this back. So first they went to the, to the end and, and uh, they sat down and, and uh, Chris said that Mr. Ziegler looked at me and said, uh, so what, what are my options? And Chris said, well, you can do this plan here, or if you prefer, you can do this one. Which one is a better fit for your needs? And he said, Dad looked at him and said, Son, you know who I am, don't you? And, of course, Chris smiled and said, Yeah, he did. And so they worked it out. And then Dad asked him a question. He said, Do you know anybody who I can get personal training from? And Chris uh, Chris said, absolutely. I tell you what, Mr. Z, I will make you a deal. I will be your personal trainer just on me if you will be my mental coach while you come in. And so then he talks about the first workout. So he says, Zig comes in. I'm showing him around. We're doing a workout, and he gets down on an arm machine, a preacher curl machine. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Yeah, yeah. You put your arms down on it, and you do a preacher curl. And he said, uh, okay, Mr. Z, go ahead. And he said, 
he started lifting and he did one and two and three and four and about the fifth rep, you know, his veins started popping out again. He did seven, eight, nine, ten, and then he kept going and it was more and more of a struggle and he thought, oh my gosh, I can see it in the papers tomorrow, you know, punk kid trainer kills Zig Ziglar working out, right? And finally he said, Mr. Ziglar, let the, the thing down and, I, and he said, I looked at him and I said, Zig, you, you don't have to work that hard, you know, you, you went to the limit. And he said, Zig looked at me, lowered his voice, pointed his finger, and said, Son, you don't have to like everything you do. Wow. And you see, that's kind of the challenge that we have in today when it comes to leadership. When I look at the younger generations coming in, all of a sudden they get a job and 80% of it or 70% of it isn't what they like to do but it's still the stepping stone to where they want to go. And so when dad phrased it that way, when we're coaching somebody or when we're looking at our own life, yeah, you know what? We don't have to like what we have to do. We just got to do it with the right attitude. And when we do the things that we need to do, when we need to do them, the day will come. We get to do the things we want to do when we want to do them. And so that is a transformation. And so Chris went on and, Dad asked him a question at another session a little later. He said, tell me about your family. And he said, well, I'm single. I'm not married. And Dad said, well, are you dating anyone? And he said, no. And he said, well, what about your parents and your friends? And he said, well, they all live in Florida. And he said, well, what are you doing here then? Right? Because Dad was all about balance. And so sometimes we get caught up on the treadmill of life instead of asking the real important things. And so Chris said that was the day that he made the decision. He was moving back home, and he was going to get balance into his life because he knew that for the rest of his life he wanted to have that. Well, he's now built a very, very successful technology website company that helps Fortune 500s maximize their marketing reach. And it was those simple principles as a trainer and as the manager of this athletic club that Dad taught him one-on-one that changed everything. You don't have to like what you do. But you do have to have a clear vision of who you want to become. And then you take the steps to become that person. So for Chris, that meant moving back home, recalibrating, and starting that business that he'd had in the back of his mind for a long time. That's excellent. It makes me think of, you know, pay your dues, but expect more too. Uh, it's, it's both. Don't just settle. But, yeah, doing the work that you need to do with the right attitude, which, again, boy, I grew up on Zig. Uh, if I got out of line, that's what I got. I didn't get a timeout. I got an attitude adjustment and I, I got to go listen to your dad. You got sent to the corner with a bunch of zig tape. <laughs> I did. And here I am today, uh, hosting the Ziggler show. Well, I want to pull out and, and let us just comment, uh, Tom, just candidly comment on four things that Zig pulled out during this clip. And one which I, honestly, I didn't have any commentary on it. I thought it's a great, it's a great quote. Never, you never see an arrogant wise person. There are arrogant, knowledgeable people, but not wise people. And just coming from him, one of the most humble men that I've ever seen, especially on a stage, that really caused me just to pause. Uh, because if somebody is wise, I had to think about this. Yeah, if somebody is wise, they're not arrogant. Uh, and so that's what, that was the point number one that he pulled out there. Point number two, to teach people how to do 
what we want them to do. And I was thinking about this as a business owner uh, and as a father. I think sometimes I fail more so in that scenario with my kids than I even do in the workplace to teach our people how to do what we want them to do. I'm sure that that's something you've got a staff uh, of a team there at Ziegler and you spend a lot of time teaching them how to do what you want them to do. True. True. And, and, you know, Seth Godin actually talks about this in linchpin in our whole educational system. It's like we had a educational short circuit a hundred years ago when we set up, uh, the current U.S. education system to benefit the mass manufacturers. See, the way, the way education works is, you know, they teach you in the classroom the lecture, and then you go home and do the, the work. And what so many of the new people are saying as far as education innovation is the lecture should happen at home via the Internet. You know, you could get a world-class teacher mm-hmm. teaching how to do a complex equation in algebra or science or history. You can do that lecture at home on the Internet, and then you come into the class and you get in a small group and you go through the homework together. And then the teacher during that time can help the students work through the problems. Mm-hmm. You see, back in the old days, the way we learned is when we learned farming, we were five or six years old and we were at our parents' heels learning how to farm. They were teaching us each step, how to plant, how to you know pick the right crop, all those different things. And that's what, that's what doesn't happen today. The assumption is, is people can figure it out on their own. And usually what they do is they figure out a way that's not quite good enough mm-hmm. to do it on their own. Yeah, it makes me think of, well, hey, you're, you're the past uh, semi-pro golf guy. I mean, you learn bad form, and you're going to spend a lot of time uh, undoing that than if you just learn the right form from the beginning. Right, and what we say in golf, and it's probably any sports or any business, is when you learn something the wrong way, you can become very good at it. Like you can have a swing that's not quite right, and you can still show, shoot a low score. But what you've done is you put a cap on your potential. Hmm. You'll never be able to compete against somebody who practices just as much as you do who has the right kind of swing hmm. because you're always overcoming a flaw. Well, business is the same way. Whether you're a graphic artist, whether you're a programmer, whether you're a leader or a manager, whether you're a customer service agent or a salesperson, you know you could have all the natural talent in the world, but if you learn bad habits and bad skills and you just overcome that with your sheer talent, you're never going to outperform somebody who's got talent and the right skills. Yes. I, I unfortunately, Tom know that painfully well, uh, you know, my past talking about sports as a pro cyclist and I did very well, but I capped myself by some, uh, some things I did really poorly, uh, which one of those was not seeking out enough counsel and coaching and input into what I was doing. And I regret that today. Uh, so that is, uh, uh, that's a point close to home. Well, hey, number three on here was to inspect what you expect, which is a term most of us know, but man, again, that was pounded into me as a kid, just in uh, my own parents, you know, looking and saying, Hey, we're, we're going to check, but it's cause we want to help you do a great job. It's something that we've taken into my wife and I, into our own parenting and I'm try to do well in business, but I like what he said of this. It wasn't inspect what you expect just to make sure it's okay, but it's also to give you the opportunity to say, Hey, good job. Thank you. But to be invested and that put a little different spin than what I've generally had in mind 
with that. Inspect uh, so that you can support, you can encourage. Again, something that is so seldom done in the workplace, and people are so, so hungry for it, as you well know. Well, hey, the fourth and last one was to set standards to do our best, to do our best, not be the best. And again, I see people short circuit themselves. I think I have sometimes as well, even in my own journey, where I know I'm not the best at something, and that's not the point, to do our best. So, you know, three things that he pointed out in this clip was failure, as he often does, failure is not an event, or failure is an event, not a person. Um, I, I, and again, in the story with his mother, your grandmother, I love this perspective where she said, you're so good. I can't accept substandard work. I just such a paradigm shift of criticizing the performance, not the person. And the next point to let shoddy work get through is unfair to all. That's that's powerful. I mean, those things, if those were done by parents well, those perspectives given, and in the workplace by the managers, by the bosses, how different would our workplaces be today? And I know, again, Tom, you see this in your own business there here, there with Ziegler uh, and in other people's businesses who are benefiting from doing this well, giving these perspectives and suffering from not. Sure. Yeah, I have a story to tell one of my friends. Uh, uh, I'm close to him, and, and uh, when his son was growing up, his son's job was to clean uh, the dog poo out of the backyard. Oh, fun. Yeah, and so he was given an allowance. Let's just call the allowance uh, $2, right? Uh-huh. It was back in the day. And his job was to do that every Thursday. You know, that was his job. And then his dad, when he got done, his dad would go back outside and he would walk the yard, and for every pile that was not picked up, he would take back 25 cents. Oh. And so such a simple lesson, it just took a minute for the dad to walk the yard, but he would, you know, he'd be walking with the son, and he would be counseling him, oh, man, you're doing great. What's going on with school today? And, of course, they'd look at the end, and there was nothing he'd gotten at all, mm-hmm. right? And he'd say, good job, way to go. And, of course, there was always the questionable ones because if it was a fresh pile, then he didn't have to pick that up, right? It was the it was the ones that were kind of aged a day. Uh-huh. But it's just one of those little lessons, and I wonder how much productivity and excellence and how many quality problems would go in a way if everybody's uh, mentality was, is, hey, I'm going to be 100% every time. I, I jokingly say, you know, down at the hospital in your city – how many babies do they deliver? And in some of the big hospitals, they'll deliver a thousand babies a year, maybe more. And so my question is, hey, if you're delivering, say, a thousand babies a year, how many babies is it okay to drop? Mm. Well, the answer is none, zero. Well, when you do work, when you ship something, when you produce something, all that, when you do a project, when you're working with a team, every single one of those things is your baby. None of them are acceptable to drop. And so when you have that attitude of criticize the performance, not the performer, then it makes it uh, something that's very coachable. Hey, I believe in you, son. You did a great job today. You know, you need to make sure you check back in that back corner. I know she's never gone back there before, but she did today. Next time you'll know, right? Yeah. Okay, give me a quarter. (laughs) You know, and it's like there's just that little teachable moment. 
is it, uh, you know, some people would say, oh, well, that's just not worth it. Well, you know, the job, you've heard the story in farming, but the job is not training them how to pick up dog poop. The job is turning it into a productive human being who makes a difference in society. Well, hey, on that note, I know there's a lot of people listening who may feel like their jobs uh, are very comparable to picking up dog poop. (laughs) And in that, so we'll wrap up with this last story here that Zig referenced. And he talked about, interestingly enough, and I did not even see when this talk was. I know it was quite some time ago, but he referenced a story uh, with Brian Flanagan, and it was at that time where Brian had been doing just a phenomenal job for Ziegler, had been seen by another company and offered a position there and had put in his resignation. And the point that Zig was making, of course, in this clip is that, in essence, and I'll paraphrase, you never know who will be watching our performance. So even if you're picking up dog poo, do it do it well, do it to the best of your ability because it, then, then we have luck happens where preparation meets opportunity. It was a great story there. However, it's interesting that however long ago this talk was that Brian Flanagan, uh, of course, is with Ziegler today. How long has he been there now, Tom? Oh, over 30 years. Over 30 years. Lead sales trainer and trainer otherwise. And we're going to have him here on the show. We're going to do a series with Brian in the upcoming week. So it was great to hear him here. And for those who have been listening to Ziegler Podcast for long, there have been some that Brian has done. And we're going to bring him in here. The guy has such a wealth of information, such an offering. And I know he just did one of the uh, some of the segments at ZLC last week, correct? Yep. He was there, uh, helped kick us off. He's dynamite. And uh, for those of you who've heard him before, he's he's entertaining uh, he has the gray hairs and the expertise to answer and address just about any question that it comes to when it comes to sales and sales performance. Well, so we're going to benefit from that in the upcoming weeks. Well, Tom, thank you. For those of you listening, I hope you got value out of this talk on leadership, such a key point in today's world that we need more and more content on, none better than from Zig and Ziggler. Tom, thanks. Everybody else, thank you. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for tuning in to The Ziggler Show. Sign up for new show alerts at ZieglerShow.com. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. <laughs>